The Forum at 8 on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's 10 minutes after 8 and once again on the Forum at 8 this morning we'll be focusing on service delivery protests because they have captured our imagination once more as we turn on our TVs and as we uh, plow through social media and we are confronted with these images that absolutely send shivers down our spines. And it's really unfortunate because they are real valid issues um, that are underlying here that we seem to lose once we start to focus on the criminality that accompanies these protests. And South Africa, once again, engulfed by these protests. Uh, We've spoken just in the last two weeks about what's happening in Vuani and Limpopo. There's Colini and Lichtenberg in the Northwest Province, Eldorado Park and uh, Innerdale. And this morning Horisane Setole was telling us about Clipsprate West as well now. And so the list goes on. Executive Director at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, Omfundo Mohapi, who's our guest this morning, says that these protest actions are a last resort by frustrated communities who are trying to get the attention of those in power. And when we look at the statistics, uh, when we look at how the number of protests have just shot up, doubled over time, it certainly is worrying. But if we are truly concerned about this. Why hasn't anything been done to stem the tide? So on the Forum at 8 this morning, we look at the current situation regarding service delivery protests. Uh, Nomfunda, thanks so much for coming through. Thank you for having me, Shakina, and uh, good morning to the listeners at home. And Nomfunda Mohabe is, of course, the Executive Director at the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Always a pleasure speaking to you, and um, it, it, it's sad that, you know, we always seem to speak at times like these. But talking about what is happening right now, I, I want to start by reading some of the messages mm-hmm. uh, from our listeners. This one, um, an unsigned SMS says, Violence is the only language that Mm. the ANC understands. Mm. Hence, the violent protest. Uh, Siabonga Brian says, um, if you look at what's happening in Colini, uh, Bonginkosi stayed in prison for over three months awaiting bail. And yet, when you look at Colini, Smith and his friend in Colini got off easy. Mm. Uh, Government expects communities to understand this. That's from Siabonga Brian. And then a few others also venting about uh, the situation. Sten Zama says, people are sick and tired of being lied to. They are prepared to give up their own lives hmm. for the change that they wish yeah. to see. So let's start there. Because that speaks to the frustration yeah. that you highlight. Yeah. People seemingly don't know where to turn to anymore. Yes, again, I, I think... I've been saying this, that we are concerned as the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation that the issues we raised when we produced this report in 2011 on the smoke that calls that we've highlighted have actually gotten worse over a period of time. Um, our, our leaders continue to struggle to de-escalate the violence and we continue to focus on what is not the issue. So when this violence happens, we focus on the drug addicts, on the criminals, we focus on the people who loot. And our argument is that it shouldn't even be arriving at that because once we are arriving there, we are just fighting fires. We have to address what we called the proximate factors and also the root causes that actually result into these issues. 
And some of them is actually the issues that the communities have explained here that this is an indication of a people that are increasingly feeling, it's not even frustration, uh, Shakina. Uh, last time we talked about the sense that South Africans are really feeling stuck. They are feeling that uh, violence is the only currency now. It's no longer even a language. It's the currency that they use to buy their rights. But what we're also learning is that it's not working, Shakina. This violence, unfortunately, is eating up the social fabric of the very same communities. And our children are being exposed to this. It's beginning to infiltrate other sectors like what we saw even with our own parliament. So at the end of the day, I think there's a conversation we need to have with the different sectors that are involved here. Communities first to say, yes, we understand the frustrations, but is violence really helping? Are the leaders really hearing? We need a conversation with the leaders themselves because the, the leaders, we've talked several times around issues of corruption, unemployment, um, communication with people. We still see incidences, for example, in Vuani. Our research showed that one of the things that um, escalate a peaceful protest and makes it um, into a violent protest. It's when, for example, leaders promise people in stadiums and saying, we're going to come and see you. Then the senior leader doesn't come and they bring a junior leader. The exact thing happened in, 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 in Vuani and people were very frustrated. So we're seeing that the leaders, besides the research that we've done and the engagement, they are still caught up in the same script that falls the violence. And of course, the role of the police that we've talked about. And I think our concern now is uh, in our research, we're talking about how when the police comes in, again, that fuels the violence because of just the strained relationship between them and the communities. But also there's an increasing frustration and even uh, trauma within the police themselves who are getting increasingly frustrated and feeling that now they use violence. But most of the police are also becoming demotivated, feeling that there's nothing that they can do. So we have to engage with all these sectors of our society and the role that they can play in breaking the cycle of violence. Where do we start? You go to a community um, that, you know, is clearly lagging um, when it comes to various socioeconomic um, uh, situations. Communities where the schools are below par to Mm -hmm. begin with. So education is a problem. Um, Communities where people are unemployed. Mm -hmm. So you have parents who have their own frustrations um, about, you know, not being able to find a job and provide for their families, which speaks to their dignity as people. And we can go on and on and on listing a myriad of um, uh, issues that people are dealing with at community level, Mm. which only exacerbates the frustrations they have about the non-delivery of uh, services. So where do you begin that conversation with the community? I think for me, the first thing is to address the leaders first, because you were asking me, where do we start? Mm. I think there are some quick wins that we can really focus on over and above the longer-term issues of unemployment and poverty and all of that. And the first one is corruption, Shakina, because if people are feeling that their dignity has been taken away, they are unemployed, they are struggling, but then almost on a daily basis they hear this news on how the money that is supposed to be invested back to them is being misused and how those in leadership are not taken um, uh, are not held accountable for it. The, the, the level of corruption in our country 
it's, it's huge. It's, it's a big cancer that is eating us up, that is feeding these problems. So corruption at a level of leadership and, of course, continuing to ensure that we deal with these issues that exacerbate people's problems. So that's at a leadership level. Let's, uh, let, let, let me just read a yeah. quick SMS uh, uh, as we're talking about corruption. It says, Sakina, I would like to remain anonymous uh, for this message. I'm a concerned member of Lady Brand in uh, Mansopa in the Free State. Corruption in Mansopa is rife. An amount of 131 million rand is missing and the mayor and ANC councillors wanted the missing amount to be written off. How can you ignore such money going missing? I have evidence of this corruption and it's not just this 131 million, it is actually more. I have the evidence and with corruption in Mansopa you can write episodes, books, stories about this Mansopa and can you please make the nation aware of this yeah and i think this is not the only municipality from municipality to provincial to national the level of corruption that exists in our country and what it is beginning to do is that also even if certain people want to stand up and speak against issues they almost feel that they are they cannot talk because each and every single person knows each and every single each each and every person's closet so there is deep levels of corruption that have infiltrated in our country. What corruption also does is that it shifts the focus from uh, from our leaders who might want to help the communities, but they are always closing up scandals after scandals and fighting with each other. And that, that energy that could be used in dealing with the issues of the community is being used to try and cover up on but all why? these issues. But why? What sort of leadership is it that tries to cover up wrongdoing? But of course, if the wrongdoing has to do with you, and remember also, Shakina, when you and I were talking last time about the unresolved trauma of our society, and that part of the struggle was was the comradeship of protecting each other, protecting ourselves, and fighting together. So at the expense now of the communities themselves, the comradeship and the covering of each other and saying we will watch each, each other's back, it's now at the expense of what our government is trying to achieve. So unless that gets broken again, it is going to continue to perpetuate some of these issues that we are talking about here. So this issue of corruption, I think also, Shakina, at a leadership level, just plain communication for example um i was very concerned when i was hearing our police minister talking about what's happening in eldorado park and he was saying these are drug addicts and we must deal with these drug addicts this this is no longer the communities and the concern then is that the focus of attention becomes what we call opportunities, criminal elements, drug addicts, and no longer the concerns of the people. Can our leaders learn to go beyond what they see as whether it's the thought force or opportunist and talk to the people and the needs of the people? Because the more you don't talk to the needs of the people, the more people feel frustrated and angered. Because by the time he finished talking, people were like, this government is not hearing us. Yes, we know there might be people who are problematic, but that shouldn't be the focus of our government. It should be going to the people and understanding what their concerns are. And thirdly, Shakina, um, and I've said this uh, in, in, in another interview, that 
Can our leaders just, if they cannot fulfill promises, then don't make them. There is nothing as destructive in a context where people are already feeling failed and frustrated, like leaders who come in and they make promises and they do not fulfill the promises because it demotivates people even further. It feeds the violence and the rage and their anger even further. So I think there is a lot of work that needs to happen at a leadership level. You also spoke about um, leaders' inability to de-escalate, and that's interesting because I think I said the same thing yesterday. When they go into situations that are volatile, it is absolutely stark when you watch how they approach these situations. And I think part of it is... For me, a discussion that we need to have around the arise of the elite in South Africa and how those who end up leading our communities become more and more elite and more and more distance to the realities that is happening on the ground. Because what happens is one wonders if the leaders really read what's happening on the ground properly and are connected with the the leaders who can feed back to them and saying these are some of the things that you shouldn't do these are some of the things that you should not do like a simple thing of promising that a leader is going to go and talk and as i said and that senior leader doesn't come and talk and you bring someone junior we know that that actually escalates the violence the simple thing of when you get into the communities you don't focus on their needs and really hear what they are saying that also escalate the violence. So there are things, and also bringing in the police who are already themselves feeling demotivated, stressed, and they are being told by the higher people that the people you're going to are criminals. There are criminal elements still with them. So the police don't go there saying we're going to go and bring order, but we're going to go there and deal with criminals. Mm. And therefore communities feel like they are treated like criminals. So, of course, they also retaliate. So there is a number of things that leadership can, can do in beginning to de-escalate this. But for me, leadership is not only the political leadership, Shakin. I think it's important for us, whilst we really understand and appreciate the challenges of the communities, to begin to have conversations with the leadership in the communities themselves. Mm. And uh, that trust deficit between communities and not just uh, the political leadership, but also with the criminal justice system, is in and of itself also cause for frustration um, that again, just adds on uh, to the sort of violence that people perpetrate. Definitely. I mean, when we um, started our democracy, we had made a conscious decision to call our police our, a police service because their focus was on rebuilding a relationship between the police and the communities. And we've seen over and over that when there's a strong relationship between the police and the communities, the ability of the police to control the crowd is actually higher. Interestingly, in the research that we've done, we found that when local police that the communities know are the ones who are called in, the communities are much calmer, that violence happens when they bring the external police who, of course, have more muscle and more power but don't have a relationship with the police. That has been found to also escalate the violence in and of itself, which then tells us that actually our investment, even at a police level, should not be militarizing the police more, but on how can the police build the relationship between them and the communities. I mean, interestingly, one of the police that has been working have been saying that they get frustrated that when they go into communities, they almost lose control because communities arrange themselves. You fight this group, but there's another group. Mm. But if the police 
and the people on the ground had a good relationship and you had people uh, identifying early warning signs, talking to the police, saying, because um, in, interestingly, Shakina, most of the leaders and communities says we do not support the looting. We do not yeah. support the people who go in. So if those leaders had a good relationship with the police, they would be able to alert them to say, hey, there's another incident that's happening. You must come and deal with it. The police cannot deal with the situation by themselves without partnership with the community on the ground. We are talking about the service delivery protest engulfing the country at the moment. Nomfundo Mukhabi is executive director at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. And we're taking your calls on 891 You can SMS us on 40938, tweet to Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo using the hashtag AM Live. Tabile is calling from Durban. Good morning. Hello, um, Sakina, how are you, my dear? I'm well, and you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you, Sakina, for the opportunity uh, to voice our, you know, ourselves over the radio. I'm very emotional right now, but uh, I'll just try to voice what's in my heart regarding service delivery or lack of it thereof. Um, I mean, the lady has explained in the radio now why is that happening, and that is a fact. People are tired. I mean, it's been how many years that things need to be done. I mean, just the basic of what the people need to receive for them to be prepared to dignity that they are people. They are people and they need no services. And unfortunately, there's so much corruption that's going on and things are not being delivered to the people. So they've come to a point, not because they are violent. I'm not a violent person myself, but not because they are violent. It's because of the mere fact that the things that they've been asking for have not been delivered. But if only our leaders can listen, now is the time that our leaders need to listen to the people and stop being greedy and do what is right by the people because they are there as the government who needs to deliver to the people. Now, in terms of service delivery, sorry, Fatima, in terms of service delivery, I have to go back. Excuse me if I'm being emotional. No problem. The service delivery, the service delivery of the police, of the people, the magistrates, the courts, what are they saying about the things that are happening in Mpombo? When an MPA, five-year-old boy, I'm a mother, I've got a three-year-old, and if I had to take my son and go live in Mpombo, so what place, whatever is happening, and my son goes and steals something, or I, I'm not saying he's going to steal, I'm saying if so, it so happens, is it okay for him to be killed? Is it okay for him to be killed? He's a black boy. I'm not saying what he is a, he's a black boy. This is okay. This is too many. These too many. Not all, not all white people are like that. Yes, there's only a few who got that. But those who got that should be set an example by our own police and by our own magistrates and by our own uh, 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 government. They should set an example. They never again. Should our boys be killed like dogs and be put on hold like that? It should stop. Once, once again, many years ago, a woman was bitten by a dog. A black woman was bitten by a dog. And there was a comment that that dog was doing its job. How can a dog be doing its job when a, a lady who's a maid works in a suburb is bitten by a dog and a dog is doing its job? All these things, whether it's a comment, it's a human being. It doesn't matter if it's a black person. It's still a human being. So our leaders must listen. Our leaders must listen. 
the nation has listened when person does something because of the ill gain or, or the evil heart and they put it against Wuti, it's a black person or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a black person or a white person, as long as it's a human being and a being is suffering. A black boy was killed. A boy was killed. Never mind that it was black and black boy. It was a boy who was killed. What do you do when two men are involved in killing a boy? Those people should be set an example. So never again should that happen. Those words when Mandela Never again should there be a discrimination. Never again should those things happen. They shouldn't be happening right now. So please, I plead, those two men must go back to jail. They must go back to jail and justice must be served upon okay. those two men. So never again. Wow. Thank <laughs> you so much, Tabile. <laughs> oh, first call we took. I'm reading the messages and yeah, Kushubile. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. And uh, it's the Forum at 8, and this morning we are speaking to the Executive Director of the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, Nomfundo Mohapi, and we're talking about uh, the current spate of service delivery protests that we are seeing. And it's very interesting, you know, just peeling back the layers, what ultimately comes out and and, and how different people, uh, depending on their vantage point, Mm. view what is happening. But of course, we can't continue on this trajectory Mm. forever and a day. At some point, we're going to need to change course and Mm. something will have to give. Um, But I want you to respond to Tabile, who called. Mm. um, And also, I'll read a few messages, but let's first start by responding to Tabile. Yeah, I mean, just to uh, thank Tabil, it's very clear how difficult and emotional this is. But I think she touches to the core of what we've been saying, that this service delivery, not, let's not even call it service delivery, this, this, this violence that we're seeing at a collective level, it's about issues of human dignity. They touch at the core of people's dignity. And we have to understand something around human dignity in our country that it has to do, of course, with the current lived experience of being stuck and frustrated. And if we were to go and see the conditions in which people live, including farm workers, people in squatter camps are living in South Africa, you will understand how it feels like to have your dignity being stripped on a daily basis. But it also speaks to the fact that we have unresolved past where issues of dignity touches to the core of our own pain in the past because the the, 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 the pain of our past was about being stripped of our dignity. So for people, it's like we were stripped of our dignity in the past, we stripped of our dignity now, and it makes you understand the level of, of trauma that people actually experience when things that take out their dignity actually takes place currently. And I think Batabile, in her expression, she was really speaking to the pain of the nation and making us be in touch with it. Mm. And she's not alone. Mosiah Seven says, this program is too emotional. The pain I feel sitting in this taxi right here, right now, is unbearable. And, and, and unfortunately, too often, we do not want to acknowledge people's lived experiences um here's a message says you are making excuses for people to resort to violence stop it yeah shakina i hear that almost all the time when i talk to radio and that's why i had said earlier that we we have to begin to problemize the rising of the elite in south africa that unfortunately the present elite 
have become very similar to the elite that existed during apartheid. Is the elite that says, see no evil, hear no evil, live in my comfort zone, and the ones who are struggling blame them, it's their problem. And we have to begin to wake our elite up to say that, do you really understand the daily experiences of the de-enfranchised South Africans who for years keep on being giving promises that things will change, but things do not change. They keep on having hope and they are feeling stuck. Do mm. you understand that experience? Once you have gone to really understand what that experience is, then you can come back and tell me this. We're not condoning violence. But what we are saying is that if we want to break the cycles of violence, we have to appreciate what is it that is driving this violence and deal with the drivers of violence. And unfortunately, that means that those of us who are the heads in our society, the leaders, everyone, have to feel uncomfortable. And when you speak about the elites, you see, the elite want to package this very neatly and narrowly and say, well, it's because the political leadership are not doing their job. And yeah, that may be true on one level, but that is not the entirety of the problem. Yes. Because you need to understand, and and, and I must say, I find the lack of empathy really distasteful. Because if people had jobs, if people had houses, if people had simple things like running water, proper roads, schools where their children can go and receive um, quality education, do you honestly think they would be out in the streets protesting? Yeah. But Tekina, we have to understand what this lack, where this lack of empathy comes from. Because this lack of empathy comes from the fact that sitting with the pain of people is just too difficult for many. It's too unbearable. So people will rather close it off than to face it. You, you see it even when you drive and you have someone begging to even when I put myself in that person's mm. shoe and I think, but what does that person sleep? What happens? What? Just because that's what empathy means. It means just getting out of where you are and enter into people's shoes. It is too painful to do that. So people will rather go back to their own comfort and live as if everything is normal and blame the people. And unfortunately, one of the things that we do not get is that this continued inequality, disenfranchisement and frustration of our people is directly affecting the security of our country and the peace that we've worked for. Even the elite themselves is affecting us socioeconomically until we get a time where we really get to hear the stories of the people beyond the common rhetoric of blaming them and saying Mm. they are all violent. Then we cannot be talking about saying we're condoning violence. Yeah, and to say they are violent is not revealing anything we don't know, that these protests do turn violent. But we should do ourselves a favor and try and understand what it is that fuels this violence. Definitely. So let's take a few more calls. Emmanuel in Cape Town, good morning. Good, good morning, Sakina. Hi, Emmanuel. Yeah, good morning, and good morning to your guest also. Morning, uh, so, yeah, let me, let me be a little bit uh, mathematical here. Uh, you started the program by um, referring to an SMS of a municipality that someone is reporting a 130 million rand fraud. Now, we know that, we know that it's an open secret that in almost every municipality there are, there are fraud of this nature. Now, let us take that 130 million multiplied by, by all the municipalities in South Africa. You get, you get the answer, keep it one side. Then let us look at the millions of rand 
that is given out as bail out to our inefficient, corrupt uh, 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 departments like the South African Airlines, ESCOM, uh, and all these things. These billions of rand that is given to them as bail out, let us calculate it and keep it on side. And then the money, billions of rand that is also spent by government on you know, fruitless um, legal battles, if we add all these amounts together, how much will that give us? If this amount is used for service delivery, how many people, even the unemployed, how many of them would be outside? Because, it, 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 you, 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 because all this money is, being, is going to you know, private pockets. So the truth of the case is that the government have lost touch with the citizens. They are, they are, they are not in... They are, they are only... In fact, you see most of these uh, government departments that are making losses, the directors are going every year with bonuses. <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. They are going... They are, they are going... They are going every year with bonuses. But when the, when the workers request for just one run increase, they say, the, 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 they say it is illegal. You see? Okay, we got you, got you, Emmanuel, and 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 I actually totally agree with you. As indicated earlier, uh, this is what fuels the frustration of communities when communities ask for services. You tell them there's no money, and yet we know for a fact uh, the AG's report year in and year out tells us this that money is being wasted all over the show. So thanks for the call, Emmanuel. Gerald in Durban. Good morning. Look, the thing is that we are in a constitutional democracy with a functioning judiciary. And to address Tabili, the people in this country that got the, the back end of the justice system were the Steencoms. We the Steencoms parents. Right from the start of that trial, right to its conclusion. They never got justice. But the key thing in a constitutional democracy, to make it function, you have to accept that. You cannot burn and break someone else's things every time you have a dispute. You have a dispute in the community, you go burn the councillor's house. The one councillor has a dispute with the other councillor coming up to election, they have him assassinated. That is just you can't that cannot happen in a in a constitutional democracy. Then you talk about the elite controlling this. We are in a democracy. The elite do not elect these people. Jacob Zuma did not elect himself. This electorate knew very well that not once but twice he was facing 700 charges of fraud and corruption uh, and they voted him in. This ju- uh, Judge Valley has uh, now held the president to account for an irrational decision. This electorate should be held accountable for making irras- irrational decisions. You give your vote away for a Domkop t-shirt, a bag of mini-meal and a grant, not for an education for your kids, not for sanitation, not for water, and then you, and then the next day, the very next day, you go after voting, you go have a service delivery protest. People, people can't understand how uh, constitutional democracy works. They might as well get a dictator. I don't even know where to start responding to you, Gerald. Well, well you can try. You can Let's start, start at the beginning. Let's start you. at the beginning. When yes. you say, when you say that the people who didn't receive justice are Rivas Tien Kamp's parents. No, they didn't. That's one of many in this country. Thousands of people don't get justice. 
You, you can go to any court in the land. And, but the one thing you have to have in a functioning democracy is that you have to accept the judiciary. If the constitutional court rules against you, you have to accept it. You cannot go burn someone else's property because the judge ruled against you. I mean, how does that work? Is that the society? I have a dispute with my neighbour over his fence. I go burn his house down. Is that what you're saying? Gerald? I, I, I don't know what kind of democracy you want to live in, but, but this is an idiocracy, if you can understand that. This is an idiocracy. You know, and, I'll, and I will engage you. You can keep me on the line. I'll engage you. No, no, you go. No, you can engage me at any time. And you can call me part of the league. I'm not. I've supported a democracy way... Been, I think it's very, very worrying that you see um, nothing wrong with the utterances that you have just made. Uh, because the, it, it, it is tinged in yeah. great part with the sort of racist uh, undertone that no, makes no, many people... Yes, that's what I'm many, saying. Many of your callers that's what are, I'm receiving from callers, you. Many of your callers, but when they talk towards the elite, there are racial undertones in that. And I'm never making any racial undertones. The skin comes, accepted the outcome. I will never condone anything outside of functioning democracy or functioning judiciary. I, I, I don't like Jacob Zuma. This is a corrupt government we've had for 23 years. 23 years of corruption. I've had to accept it. Is that I the pay, only pay, example you can come up with? I pay my taxes and I've had to accept it. Ger- okay, you go, Nomfundo. Gerald, you know, I think what is coming up for me is how asleep we are as South Africans to ourselves. How we really don't understand the dynamics of what's happening in South Africa. Your own, first of all, just awakeness around what it means to, to be a white male in South Africa. And that when people are talking about their frustration, considering the history and the starkness that they come from, and their frustration about their lived experiences, then you come and use the Stian comes, an example of privilege and people who get so much airing from our government and you come and bring that at this point in time it's just the issues of timing and while some of the things that you are saying might be things that we need to look at but it's also the tone just the the disrespect of the engagement with people themselves and for me what it brings up is how do we as South Africans become conscious, first of all, of our history? How do people who have embodied whiteness become aware of what it means when they say certain things in a certain way? And also just different different, different um, races in our country. Be aware of the past of our country and how when we talk about things that have got racial undertones, we need to be careful that we don't reignite. I mean, Shakina and I here just had a very strong reaction to you when you were talking. And at least we can calm ourselves down, but how much more than with the people on the ground and people who are already um, are struggling? So for me, it's just a call to say, just please just be awake to yourself and be awake to where you are at and how you talk and the language that you actually use and how you reignite the anger that we are trying to deal with and saying let's work together as a society. Uh, look, look here, I, 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 I never said I was a white male. You've assumed that and, uh, and you're correct in assuming that. And I don't want to racialize the debate. But you cannot have in any democracy anywhere in the world that when people have a dispute with government, the very government they elected, People in America are extremely unhappy with Donald Trump. 
there's a huge, there's a huge outrage of the election of Donald Trump. Nowhere in America can you accept that people start burning down other people's property because Donald Trump was elected. If well, Marie there Le were Pen communities in, that went on the rampage it, after his election. It did happen. It's, it's, it's not acceptable. And it's Gerald, not acceptable. nobody is saying it's, it's acceptable. acceptable. Nobody because, is because saying it's acceptable, Gerald. Ge- Gerald, Gerald, can I come in? The, some of the stuff that you are saying, I, I, I think we have all been saying that burning houses and all of that is not acceptable, even the leaders in the communities themselves. But I, I just want you to understand that when you come wearing the privilege that you have, without first, you know, if, if your approach was going to be saying, you know, I understand, first of all, just validate people's experience. I understand the pain and what people go through. I get it then at least that gives you a platform to can begin to speak to correcting what you see as the wrong. But when you come in, it sounds, and I don't, I'm not saying that's your intention, but it sounds as if you are completely dismissing people's pain, people's struggle, because your only focus is on doing things right without understanding the context in which this actually happens. So we need people like you who want to engage with us, want to engage in building this society, all of us as South Africans, to just be careful. Because unless we really understand the pain of the people, unless that pain feels validated, people will not even hear when we are telling them about what they need to do right. Even sometimes you might find that the people who might agree with us because of the way we engage as the elite, it makes them to retaliate back and feeds into more anger. So let's just be careful around the way in which we engage with some of these debates. And let us not be part of the group that escalates the violence and the anger of the people. Anyway, we need to take some more calls. Thanks for the call, Gerald. Uh, Chris and Richards Bay, good morning. Good, good morning, Sakina. Uh, what I want to say is that, Mama, this problem that we are facing today is not going to go away very quickly. I tell you this, the, the people that are elected into municipality positions as officials, Arcaders that are deployed as as a token of, of appreciation for them that had supported the previous uh, ANC conferences. In you get given the post, you are then <clears throat> expected to 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 channel the finances or the monies to 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 people that elected you. It's a problem that you are not going to get get off it quickly. You know, people here like uh, Premier, former Premier Senzum Kuhn, who actually turned KZN around. You know, in his tenure, uh, we, 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 we received clean audits left, right, and center. But those people were removed because they were against the corruption. So this thing is not going to go away. People are still going to be banning things because there's no service that will get to them. I thank you, ma'am. Mm. Thank you, Chris. Yaj in Cape Town, good morning. Morning, Sakina. Um, I think the first step we need to take in this country is to demand a universal basic income, a guaranteed basic income to all citizens. And this will go a long way to addressing the problems in this country. And we need to cut the fat cat salaries of government uh, employees and uh, bureaucrats. And we need to make the extremely rich pay for this basic income through a land tax, and a levy on all financial transactions. We don't need to increase VAT. In fact, we need to decrease VAT and replace it with a land tax and a levy on financial transactions to finance a basic income to all citizens in this country.
All right. Direct cash transfer to everybody. Mm. Well, we'll talk more about that. Thank you so much, Yaj, in Cape Town. Mike in Middleburg, good morning. Morning, Sakina, and your guest, and thanks for taking my call. Yeah, because of time, Sakina, I will just limit my input to reiterate um, what your guest is saying there, and I'm impressed, you know, that uh, we must condemn violent service delivery protestation in the strongest possible terms. And uh, I don't buy, Sakina, into the notion that uh, there are just criminals who will come and hijack. It is actually the protesters themselves, you know, who commit acts of violence. So I, I, I agree entirely that uh, we must condemn that. Uh, but going forward, I think um, we, we, we can resolve this, uh, this problem. At least we can do something about it. Uh, if you check, Sakina, and you said it yourself, that uh, the AG's reports will tell you how much is wasted, you know, wasteful and fruitless expenditure. Um, if really we can save, there is so much that um, we can have, you know, to address the challenges we are faced with and to create job opportunities. But my question, Sakina, is do we have any scientific stat that uh, tells us, you know, how much is wasted on uh, fraud and corruption, uh, wasteful and fruitless expenditure. Do we have any, any stat in that regard and, uh, so that we can be in the position to say this is how much really we can benefit from if we govern, you know, very well without any corruption, without any fraud. So I'm sure that is easily attainable mm-hmm. if you uh, just Production. add all the amounts that come together, uh, taking into account things like uh, capital flight mm-hmm. and um, also uh, the reports from the AG. I mean, at municipal level even, um, as that SMS pointed out, you are able to see that. And it would mm-hmm. simply be a matter of just adding up all of those amounts. I, I agree entirely, but of course, not only municipalities, I'm also talking about departments, and I want to also venture into the private sector, because mm-hmm. the private sector cannot distance itself from the problems we are faced with. In the private sector, you will find wasteful and fruitless expenditure. If we can work together, Sakina, and save, and really utilize the savings, to really attend to the problems that we are faced with, mm-hmm. particularly the triple challenges of unemployment, poverty, and inequality. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Eunice in Johannesburg, good morning. Yeah, hi, Sakina. Sakina, if I could just follow up on Mike's question, you know, you know, talking of the private sector coming in, which is very fair, how do we then explain, for example, in Nansfield on Monday, an entire furniture factory was uh, looted and burnt, over 10 million rands damaged, 100 people out of jobs. So it's a contradiction in terms. And the owner of that factory is devastated. He's actually wanting to close shop completely. So what I'm saying is in this whole scenario, there's two things lacking here, leadership and law and order. Now let us quickly just look at Colini. You had this horrible incident in Colini. But at the same time, you cannot have a situation where every white person's house has to be raised or, for example, you know, you've had Indian businessmen who've been there for over half a century. Shops have been raised. One gentleman's house was burnt on Monday. So, you know, if someone did uh, a horrible deed, you cannot hold the next person of the same color or whatever responsible, and we have to have law and order. Now, talking of which, now, in, like in El Dorado Park, I just got a report yesterday, I mean, a Caltex garage was looted, 
an old age home was vandalized. What has that got to do with uh, with with the uh, with the protest? So. Law and order is lacking, and we don't have visible policing. And you need to bring in Minister Fikile and Balula. We have various challenges here. Yes, unemployment. I mean, service delivery is a, is definitely on the cards there. The lack of service delivery, but law and order is lacking, and political leadership also. If we could just quickly recall, in the time of the struggle when Marquis Kosana was about to be necklaced, Archbishop Desmond Tutu risked his life and went in there. Where's the leadership now to go in, you know, and to calm people down? And we, we, we cannot have this situation, otherwise we're going to total anarchy in this country. Thank you so much, Eunice in Joburg. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Well, I just want to read some of the messages coming through. Mandam Banjwa in Peter Maritzburg says service delivery is demanded violently because only violence moves government to action. The language understood by government is called violence because violence brings results. Communities will use it. Can you blame them? That's from Mandlam Banjwa. This one says it does not help to deploy police in violent areas. Leaders must go out and address people's problems. Sajini Ndenze says ANC promised people have and earth and it is time to keep those promises people won't stop the violence until government addresses their problems dave says even if uh, there was nothing to protest about these people will find some excuse to do what they love and do best which is to loot and vandalize they cannot fool me and kathy says i don't simply don't believe in the perception that this violence, barbaric hooliganism, is the only language our government understands. It has to be rooted out, but the ANC is and has been totally silent about it for 23 years, can't afford to lose voters, populism misrules. That's from Kathy. And this one says, why are you not talking about the ward councillor? He or she should know what's happening in the area and should be accountable for the lack of service delivery. And Anonymous says, you, what's happening in Yachesfontein is really bad. Our leaders are corrupt. We've just got a mine here. And the manager tells the community there's nothing they can do to him as long as the ANC governs. Nomfundo? <sighs> The challenges of our country are many. And I think what really saddens me from just the people we've been hearing is that we are so divided as a nation. And the way in which we are responding from the people who are so disenfranchised and so angry and so consumed by their anger that they will continue perpetuating violence just to make sure that they get heard. To the other group that doesn't even want to hear. Actually, the response is so arrogant. It's it's naming people criminals and hooligans. And for me, Shekina, we're going to break this cycle when we begin to understand that you can hold both. Yes, we can condemn the violence, but at the same time, we have to be empathic to the needs of the people on the ground and understand them so we can begin to shift some of these issues. Because when you begin to do that, then you are able to come up with some of the creative ideas that the callers have brought in, for example, saying, let's address issues of corruption, let's look at a universal basic income, let's bring in the private sector, let's save our money. Only when you truly understand and empathize with what's happening on your ground are you able to come up with these creative um, 
suggestions in terms of moving forward. We cannot be caught up in, in the script and this narrative of blaming, attacking, blaming, attacking. We have to find a different way of engaging with this as a society.